Testing, testing. Hello, this is a test. Microphone number four. Microphone number Microphone number four. Microphone number four. Microphone number four. I think this sounds a little low. Microphone number four. This sounds better. Microphone number four. This is a podcast test. Testing microphone number four. Hello, and I'm back from five, which sounds a lot better than four. What's up, microphone four? Okay, now this sounds much better. This is a podcast test for philosophy. Podcast test for philosophy. This is microphone six, and I'm dialing. This is microphone six. Back to microphone four also sounds good. This is the end of the test. You don't, yeah, you, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's just like. Tell me when we're on. Because I want to do yeah, I something. Get the chills off of me. No I think the ghost is in here with us now. Oh. Yay. Okay. <laughs> why is it uh why is it one why is it not zeroed out on the timer? Oh, because I did some testing before you came. Oh, okay. Got it. But I can test. Do you want me to keep you informed of time? Um I no, I can see, I can see the time. I can just I can subtract. I'm good at math. I can see the time. Okay. I'm going to go live here on IG. Here we are. <laughs> this is we're actually recording now, and this is the first time I've ever done a story while doing a podcast. Because I usually don't think about this, but here we are with Jamie Messina. Say hi, Jamie. Hello. All right, let's get started. Uh, the Philosophy Podcast here with your host Z. Today's guest, a Watertown girl, 
Jamie Messina. Um, I went to high school with your older brother and older sister. Yes. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, there's not really, yes. any, that wasn't a question. <laughs> um, before we get started, I got a couple things to, to say. And then um, I'm going to try and be good about not babbling today because I want my listeners to hear what you have to say. They always get to hear what I have to say. Um, and I have a lot to say. But so first of all, welcome to Julie Manugian. The, my personal producer here at Lex Media. I felt bad because I was joking about this the other day, and I hope Terry didn't take me seriously because I really appreciated him jumping in okay. and filling in for you while you were visiting your dad, yeah. Big Mike Manugian, who had some more heart issues, yes. uh, and he's okay. He is much better now, thank you. So we're praying for him, and we love Big Mike, and uh, we're happy to have you back. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy to be and one more bit of housekeeping, I have to say, um, we had a death in Watertown this week. Um, the father of two very good friends of mine that I also went to high school with, uh, Tom and Tom and Kim Dicker, their dad suddenly passed away of a heart attack. Uh, they're good friends of mine still to this day. Tom listens to the podcast. Oh, he um, he's a big fan. <laughs> and so, Tommy, uh, to you and to Kim, uh, heartfelt condolences. Uh, I can't imagine what you're going through, but I hope that these podcasts continue to bring you peace and um, perspective and to know that um, it's okay, that you're going to be okay. And I know it sucks now and it will suck for a long time, maybe forever, but uh, you're going to be okay. And hopefully by listening to this podcast, you were able to um, be present and enjoy those moments that you had with your dad, which is something that we should all do. So that's it. That's enough of my um shout outs and starting we'll get started with jamie because uh, you've had an interesting journey too and we want to hear about it <laughs> yes um <laughs> we talked a lot normally i don't talk to guests a lot before the podcast but we rode over together from watertown to lexington so we talked about a lot of stuff uh one thing i didn't know about you is that you used to be a preschool teacher yes um actually special needs special needs in I watertown wanna... actually um wow yeah we have a in uh you inclusive uh, special needs program that starts in preschool. Yeah, I did that for three years. Yeah. 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 And what are you doing now? Why don't you tell oh, people what man. you're up to? That is a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's start with professionally, right? You did the beach body shakeology thing for a while, and now you're on to this ketones thing. I did, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm in, uh, I guess you would call it social media marketing, but really it's I, I found a couple of things that I love that have just become a part of my life. Beachbody, it started with, mm -hmm. you know, I was in a very low point. Yeah. Um, and it saved me, which I'm sure you'll ask me more questions about, but it, it saved me my life, basically. And so I kind of fell in love with what I was doing with that. And then uh, it led me to now this ketone thing, which saved me in another way brain-wise and so I do that professionally but really right because you said I actually want to hear, hear you tell people about that you told me I did your podcast last week mm -hmm. uh, your podcast is the sh stories we tell yeah the stories that we tell the stories that we tell um, so you can hear part one of this basically then and I'm talking a lot more hopefully I'll be good enough to shut <laughs> up today and let Jamie talk a lot more about her story that she's telling uh, but you were on Ritalin for a long time and then you started taking this ketone stuff and now you're not Yes. So that's pretty cool. So without making medical claims, um, yeah. <laughs> I was always looking for something. I'm not a therapist. <laughs> she's not a doctor. Okay, done. 
yeah, I mean, I was always looking for something to kind of help my focus and attention. And as you know, working from home or, you know, without a boss kind of telling you what to do, that can be difficult. I mean, my cat is super cute, always distracts me. You know, you've got the news feed, you got TV, you got everything. And so I was trying to find something that helped me focus and lifted my brain fog without changing my mood or you know, making me feel not good. Yeah. And so when I found ketones, that changed the game for me. Yeah, it's great. And you gave me some samples. I tried them the other day. I definitely, uh, I shared a little bit about <laughs> off air, but what did you sure call you don't it? Want Ke- to talk about ketone, li- ketone libido? Keto libido. Yep. Yeah, it's I definitely thing. felt that part of it for sure. It's a thing. I, was, I thought you were giving me like testosterone packets <laughs> or something. Yeah. Uh, but that's, I guess everybody sort of reacts differently to that, right? Because yes. we all have stuck energy in different parts of our body and for sure. all that kind of stuff. Speaking of stuck energy, we're in an old mental institution here in Lexington. So to all the uh, ghosts and spirits here, please leave us alone and carry on with your business. Unless you have something important to say. Yeah, if you have something important to say that will be helpful and not hurtful, uh, we'll hear those at any time. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you are a, we talked about this on your podcast, but I'll say it again. Uh, We're both kind of shy people who ended up in this sort of public space because we want to help people by telling our stories, right? Yeah. That's why your podcast is the stories we tell. Um, So let's hear uh, some stories. You're gay. I don't know if you knew that. (laughs) Did you know that? Um, You know, sometimes I question. (laughs) So um, let's talk about that because when we were growing up, uh, certainly I'm a little bit older than you, uh, but when I was growing up, nobody was out in high school at Watertown High. And now there's like at least 50 that I can think of off the top of my head that are openly gay, right? And it's this great thing because – People should be allowed to be who they are and express themselves as long as they're not being hurtful to others. Um, So tell us about your journey. You shared a little bit about that with me off air. I think it would be helpful to hear some of that. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's something that I've known since I was five years old. Um, So if anybody questions, you know, is this something you're born with? I I believe that it is. Yeah. There's people in my, uh, you know, ancestry that as well, like that were gay and so (laughs) I know it was born that way I just didn't know what to call it until around seventh grade so um it's I mean well ask me some specific questions like (laughs) well let's talk about no so I don't uh just so you know I don't do this as an interview right it's just a conversation like we were having before so don't expect me to (laughs) prompt (laughs) you don't expect me to do work what What the heck is this this is my show damn it and I don't do any work um (laughs) no I uh really the point is um and the reason why I don't normally talk to people beforehand like we were talking is because it's just like a conversation like yeah. that. So tell me, um, but since you want to be prompted, I will. Tell me the story about the, your AOL yeah. thing that you were telling me so off air. Actually, so this is good because, you know, part of the stories that we tell in the podcast that, you know, I created was because I feel so often when we're young, you know, there's these stories that we tell ourselves that hold us back from things. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm interested in taking those stories overcoming them per se and then retelling them to inspire others and so growing up I felt all sorts of weird like I felt like I was different something was wrong because I had known since I was five years old that there was something different about me and so I was telling Mike earlier that in seventh grade you know I was one of the first kids with AOL um, dial up back back then yeah. you know we had the dial up going on there was no 
I don't even think there were, there wasn't photos or anything on it. I don't really don't know what not that many early. What on, did AOL sure. even do? I mean, it was it was yeah, profiles and chat rooms, and so well, um, news and whatever. I, I, I don't I even think, remember. I don't think it was email. It was, it was email yeah. mostly. Instant messenger, exactly. So, exactly. And I was one of the only people that had that, and so I don't know what I was doing on there, but. I somehow knew enough at 13 years old to search the profiles for, you know, because I had known these feelings were coming up. I knew what it was. I don't even know how I knew what it was. Nobody ever talked to me about it. Right. But I was searching the profile for, you know, lesbian and, and this, that, and the other thing. And I found this woman um, was a lot older based on her profile. I'm, I'm assuming it was accurate because I don't think people actually scammed it back then. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> Most people were playing right. it straight early on yeah. in the internet days. They didn't know what to do Pardon with this the pun. thing. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, not so much nowadays. Kids right. out there, please be careful. Yeah, uh, exactly. People exactly. are not always who they say they are. But That's for person... you, Michael, Kirk, Maruki, and my nephew. <laughs> and Bobby and Mia. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. Um, I guess so. I found her and I just started talking to her. And I basically was like, you know, this is I'm in seventh grade. I feel this way and I don't know what to do about it. And I'm having conversations with this stranger about the way that what was going on in my life and the only sense of normalcy yeah. that I had was well, because you had nowhere else to go to talk about it, right? Because, exactly. like I said, in the town we grew up in at that time, that was not a discussion that no. people were comfortable having. It's right. barely. You know, as we were talking about, people say now that they're comfortable, but right. like if they have to really get down into it and hang out, yeah. uh, like I, are they? Like I don't know. Or you know, they'll say they're comfortable, and they could be some of my best friends. But then some of the things that come out of their mouth, I'm like, oh, yeah, because yeah. it's like a, a, you know, you and I have talked a lot about this on the podcast and off air. People, what people say and what they do are completely different, Two different things. things. You and I are unique that way in that we're completely authentic and open, and that's why even though we're shy people, we're here sharing because there's nothing to hide. I have nothing to hide. You have nothing to hide. Um, most people don't live that way, and and I'm not talking bad about those people. What I'm doing and what we're doing, hopefully, is encouraging them that it's okay to just be who you are. As I talked about on the last podcast with Sophia, who's 26 and trying to figure out life, Nobody has this figured out. We don't know what we're doing. Nope. We're all faking it, right? And we're just trying to do our best, hopefully, right? So in, in the context of sexual orientation, I think it's an important conversation. I have a nephew, actually, Julie, and I share a nephew who just recently came out. He's 17 years oh, old. Really? He's a kid that we knew, probably knew that he was gay much younger than he did. But again, you figured it out very early yeah. on. Not, some people don't, right? Like that's just yeah. that we're all different. So some people, maybe they resist or maybe they just really don't know and they're actually trying to explore. So uh, Michael Kirk finally came out and it was like, you know, to us, it was a relief for him to just, you know, yeah. say like, oh, it's okay. Nobody nobody cares one way or the you other. You know what? Like, I, w I sometimes think and often think about what my life would be like had I been who I am now or if, 2000 was the year I graduated. Say, like, yeah. it was as acceptable then as it is now. Like, yeah. a lot would be different with me. Right. Or you could also think how different it would be if you never came out right. and you were living in the closet your whole life. Oh, miserable you as, like me. <laughs> as many people have done, right? And it yeah. makes them miserable because mm -hmm. they can't be themselves. And I'll share a story so that you don't get in trouble that I and I do about your brother because <laughs> it's one of the my favorite coming out stories of all time. Uh, your brother was my brother's age, who's two years older than me. 
cafe hung out in this group of, you know, not jocks. They were more the theater kids and, and sort of misfits who had their own group. But they were just old school Watertown guys, really. Mm-hmm. And there was no talk about gay or whatever. But, you know, your brother's someone that was always kind of effeminate. So we kind of figured he probably was. He never said anything to anybody. He dated girls, which, you know, I looks confusing to me. But who mm-hmm. am I to say what his choices are, right? He finally came out at one point to my brother and his friends uh, and was so nervous and scared by it because these are really old school kind of guys that he thought. Uh, and their response across the board was, okay, so what? Right? And that, like th- I tell that story, I hope you're not mad, Jason, but <laughs> I tell that story because oftentimes when we're hiding something, whatever it is about our sexuality or about anything that we don't like about ourselves and we don't want people to know, when we let it off our chest and we just allow ourselves to be authentic, it's not nearly as big of a deal as we make it out to be in our heads. I had the same exact experience. Yeah. So tell me about that. To my friends um, in college, my college friends, I had known and been hiding for a long time, and they probably knew forever. You know, like, right. but I was so nervous to tell them. I had, I had to drink like a billion drinks before it came out of my mouth, and I told <laughs> them, and they were like, "Yeah." awesome like right. me too actually one of them was like me too <laughs> no way and you well, didn't like, know bi- she was a bisexual yeah i didn't know i didn't know <laughs> and they were like so what and i was and then i was kind of like oh man because that whole workup that i had worked up for 18 years at that time it was like wait it wasn't that bad right <laughs> you know right. Yeah. and what was it like uh coming out to your family well you'd already had uh, someone in your family that came out so maybe it was a little bit easier but maybe not judging well, by your the look on so, your face. <laughs> the thing is, I was away at school, but I wasn't away at school. I went to Northeastern University, okay. which is 15 minutes away, right? right? But I wrote them a letter, wrote my mom and dad a letter. Um, and I don't even remember how I told my brother and sister, to be honest. But my yeah. mom and dad, I wrote them this letter, and I had it in my hands. And I was standing by the mailbox, and I was with one of my friends. And I was going to put it in. I wasn't going to put it in. And then my friend just ripped it out of my hand and threw it in the mailbox. And I was like, uh. Like, That's done. Yep, yep. <laughs> Right. I was, I, I was like, oh, Julie just got a little bit nervous. My God. Just breathe, Julie. It's OK. <laughs> and so um, we already know the results, so it's fine. <laughs> well, a lot has happened in between then. Sure. Two days later, uh, I got a hand delivered. My R.A. slid a letter under my door from my dad, which was. Oh, so you were living on campus. Oh, yeah. I okay. didn't want to go home for the purpose of I had become more like noticeably gay <laughs> you know Got like it. i started to dr- dress differently and, right. and so i had noticed they were noticing and uh the letter that i got back from my dad was pretty awesome you know like my brother had come out six months earlier and so that's a lot you know for yeah. parents to take on right. and so my dad was more so like hey like yeah this isn't like it's not they don't necessarily jump for joy but at the same time he was respected me more for sharing my truth right. and you know, express that in a letter that I really appreciated and I still have somewhere today. Now, for my mom, it was a little bit different. It took a little bit more time for her to come around. Right. I think mostly just because you have all these expectations of what your life is going to look like. Right. And you can't expect that's when we come out like that's something I was keeping a secret for 18 years and holding on to for 18 years. I can't just expect that I tell people and they're automatically going to be like, 
Woo, yeah, awesome. You know, right. they, well, yeah, your parents for sure is yeah. a tough one, right? So uh, it was a little. But they did, and Laurie, your sister, is not gay, and she has kids, and they have grandkids. Yeah. Now, so they, I think they got the. And part they're going to get they, some grandkids for me one way or another. Too. Great. <laughs> well, I, I will. I'm sure they'll hold you to that. Yeah. Knowing yeah. your parents uh, yeah. as I do, um, so let's let's expound on this conversation a little bit. We were talking also a little bit off air about. Uh, gender identity and and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff that's sort sort of a, a completely different thing than sexual orientation, but they often get confused. you know sort of confused and and placed together. And so I want to hear what you, what your thoughts on that are, and then um, and then we'll get into some of the taking it too far kind of stuff that we talked <laughs> about too. Oh boy, yeah. Well, I mean, so I didn't really understand the concept until the past couple years. And so first of all, I don't know if you know this, but I had like forced myself to have this long hair. I hid behind my hair my entire life. I kind of felt... Right, until just a couple recently, years ago. You yeah, had. because I was petrified to cut my hair um, at first because I hid behind it. And then second, when I got more confident, it was because if I cut my hair and I look how it is now, and all times have changed, so I don't know if this is necessarily the same, but in my head it was, um, people would automatically know I was gay and then I couldn't hide. Still, even <laughs> a year ago or right. two years ago, yeah, yeah. I hid behind my hair because I, I still it. had that safety net of like, hey, I could walk into a room and somebody wouldn't automatically know and change because I always felt like it was my job to um, get them to like me first and then they could know the other thing. And you know what I mean? Because then they could already like me and not have it swayed by, you know, my sexual orientation. But the thing is like, gender and sexual orientation they're two different things um and you might not necessarily be gay but can feel like you want to have short hair if you're female or long hair if you're i, I don't know right, you right. know and, and well what we were talking about was that we all have male and female energy right and some of us have more female or some male and that may not be related the balance may yes. not be related to the gender that you are in this body in this life Right. And so what I shared with you and I'll share now publicly is that I always felt different when I was a kid in high school because I'm not like a macho dude. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm also not gay. And I, you know, and then after I got married and started to dress better and then I lived alone and had like a neat apartment (laughs) stuff, you know, and some kids from Watertown and other people have asked me over the years, you know, are you gay? dude? I'm like, no. But, you know, now I take it as a compliment. Right. It means I like I dress well and I carry myself well. But the thing is, is that I, um, you know, as a as a straight male, but having definitely more female energy than most males, at least more that I'm willing to admit, or maybe it was just always that way. I don't know. Um, you know, it was definitely weird for me and confusing. And like you said, still to this day and sometimes because I can't relate to the, the stereotypical male dude that's like i just want to eat burgers and drink beer and sleep with as many women as i can right like that's never really been my thing now i've done all those things and and um and had fun with all that but that's like it's not my identity right like i to me it's always weird that like you know if i go out and have a salad and a glass of wine people are like the well, that's weird as a dude you know like shouldn't you be having a burger and a beer like right Yeah. What society has raised you. Right. Is that there's only one type of man, that man that you just described. Yeah. Yeah, that's think. not the case. 
Yeah, no, it's not. And I know that from personal experience. I know that also from our nephew, Julie, that like I never for years, I was like, I don't know, maybe this kid's just super effeminate. Maybe he's not gay. Who am I to say he's right. gay? I think he probably is. But I don't know what it's like to be him. I don't know what it's like to be you. Right. But the point I'm, I'm sharing this and we're talking about all this is that we're all different and we all have different things and thoughts and feelings, whether that's about sexuality or gender or anything else. Um, so I think that it's really good that this movement is happening, of that there are all these different genders. And also, like everything else, as human beings, we could take things too far. And now people are like choosing to be offended because you called me a pronoun that I don't really like. All right, well, first of all, how would I know that? Second of all, like if you're choosing a pronoun that you want to be called, and it's just so out there that it's weird for most people to train their brains to say that, like call you they. All right, but you're one person. I get that you identify as many different energies, but to me, that's – yeah, right, and that's not how I see it, right? So how am I supposed to – my point is is that, like, we have to find balance to talk to each other and, like, not get offended. Um, you know, when when I was young, people would ask me uh, – every, and, again, it hasn't happened that many times, but it's happened a handful of times. Like, if someone would ask me – when I was young, if I was gay, I was offended by it. Yeah. Like I said, now I've turned it around as an adult. Like I think that's a compliment because yeah. it means I'm like a balanced male, and then I have like I'm not afraid to show my sensitive side and my female energy. I still, to this day, have tons of friends who just will never even entertain that conversation. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> They're just old school dudes that like you know we drink beer, we eat burgers. That's how we prove we're I- men. Well, I don't drink beer anymore, but I like burgers. Yeah, right? <laughs> and that's the, that. Uh, we'll get into that the drinking <laughs> thing, too. I want to talk about that. But I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I think that it's important to have that conversation that there's not, like Julie said, there's not just one type of man. There's not just one type of woman yeah. or any other, you know, uh, and then you take it to the 30 or 40 or 50. I don't know how many genders there are. There's, now. A, there's lot. a lot. <laughs> it's hard to keep track of. Um, and I, I respect it's like 700 and something now. Oh, Jesus. Different. Wow. I haven't been paying attention. It's growing exponentially. Yeah. How is that possible? I don't know. Well, because here's the thing is we talked about this, right? There's sexuality and gender are two different things. And and sex organs and sex, you know, you're a biological male or a biological female. Then there's your sexuality of how you who you like to be with. Right. And then there's all these genders. I think the easiest example is somebody who's transgendered. So say you feel like a woman inside and, and you change your, um, you know, you have surgery and you change and you become a woman. But that doesn't necessarily mean now you're going to be attracted to men. You could still feel like a woman inside but be a lesbian woman, go from a man, like women, change, but not feel like a man and change to be a woman and still like women. Like those are two different things. Yeah, I just got really confused, but that, I think that's the point. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> is it can be it's really because confusing. Because we tie them, we tie them into one, but they're not. Those are two separate things: and sex th- and gender. I think the whole point is that like everybody should be allowed to be who they are, feel who they are, express themselves who they are, as long as they're not hurting other people. Yeah. And as long as they're not, you know, causing and by hurting other people, that can be as simple as like being offended all the time by what the way people see you like you've uh, part of that is uh, you know a choice of how you express yourself but part of it's not a choice as you said and I remember I had this conversation with your brother Julie my brother-in-law before was it last year before I left Sarasota about my nephew he wasn't out yet Um, 
And he said to me, he's a super old school conservative guy, right? Very traditional. And he's a great guy. Um, but he, you know, couldn't get his head around the whole thing. And he was raised that that's a choice, that you choose everything in life, right? And everything in life is choice. But there are certain things that we're just programmed and wired that aren't. And I'll never forget, he asked me, well, I guess being gay is not really a choice, is it? Because why would anybody choose that? Exactly. It's a really hard road. And I was like, oh, my God, you get it. Yes. Okay, <laughs> that's mm -hmm. good. That shows growth. Um you know, beyond his traditional upbringing and traditional values that he was able to see his son that like, oh, wow, I'm not, he's not choosing this. It's part of it is who he is. Now, his behavior separate from his sexuality is a whole other conversation that we won't get into on the podcast. That's family stuff. and It'll stay family. But whether whatever gender or sexuality or whatever we have, we all make choices about the people, the, the people that we choose to be and how we choose to act and treat others and and that is, those are choices, right? So it's important to realize what is a choice and what isn't. Yeah. And, you know, you talking about being offended, you know, people being offended. Like, yes, it's amazing that this conversation is happening and people, you know, if you get offended. My view is, and I use my platform, to educate. Because I understand you're not just going to come up and be like, hey, listen, now I'm they. And, and just expect <laughs> that everybody's going to understand that. Like, we aren't in I that I don't time. mean to laugh to those people yeah. out there who like to be called they. But, I mean, like, you know, you can't. But it is a funny thing to say to someone. Right. Now I'm they, and I expect you to f completely treat me differently and, and just be on the same page as I am. All right, well, it's going to take time for me to get there. And so just be patient with it's me. just because it's you taking time, like uh, – I'm, I appreciate that you have the open mind and are willing to make it happen. And so my job is to educate people, you know, like right. that's what I feel like. Yeah. You know, because it, things don't happen overnight. We expect everything to happen overnight. We talked about this in diet and fitness and everything else. Yeah. Same thing. You know, we got to make some changes and we got to educate people and help them to understand so that it can be implemented into our society and become a norm. But we're not there yet. And it takes time to do right. that. Right. Right. And again, ultimately, the goal is for everybody to just be able to express themselves and live their happy life that they the way they see themselves and again it all comes back to as long as you're not hurting other people right right um i quote the dalai lama a lot it's one of my favorite quotes is that you know he says our job as human beings is to help other people but if you can't help them at least don't hurt them exactly right that's like the minimum baseline of how we need to treat each other like make it a point to not be hurtful or harm harmful to others. Yeah. Good. I'm so glad we gave you a microphone. Right? You're that was a calming yeah, I wasn't voice. I sure how much I should talk. I, you know, I felt this thing with myself. How much is just the executive role? But maybe once in a while I'll. Yeah, no, you should. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like all of it, none of this is scripted or scheduled, right? So you should Definitely talk not. when you <laughs> feel compelled to talk. So, And I'm glad yes. that you are. Um, speaking of. Uh, making choices, we'll change gears a little bit here to another conversation that I think is a very worthy one. You recently made the choice to stop drinking. Yes. Why don't you talk about that? Man, well, I don't even know if you know this part, but I always... And most of your story, I <laughs> yeah, don't know, don't which know. is why I'm excited about today, because like I said, on your <laughs> podcast, I just babbled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I get to hear your story. So um, drinking had become a thing for me to feel normal. So I... Uh, I deal a little bit with social anxiety and some other things, just anxiety disorders. And um, I had recognized over the years that, number one, 
the only way I felt normal around other human beings was to drink. And I'm small. I'm like 5'1", 5'2", on a good day. Um, And uh, so I was drinking a lot. Like if if you hung out with me a couple years ago, you know, 10 beers or five shots of tequila, and I'm a good time, (laughs) you know. But... um, Exactly. And <laughs> right. I got to a point where I wasn't. <laughs> you, you should know? be. That's the whole I point. Right. And I, I was the same way, which is why I want you to talk about this, because I've shared a little bit on the podcast that I <laughs> have this grand idea that one day I'll give it up completely or at least like I'll just have a glass of wine with dinner every once in a while. Yeah. But I'm not there yet. And and I uh, have shared and I'll share with you now that I mostly did that for the same reasons that you did for social mm-hmm. anxiety and just dealing with stress. And I've used that as a crutch my whole life. Um, and it's not a very stable crutch. No. Well, the whole point, I would drink a ton to feel comfortable in a social environment. But by the time I got there, because I drank so much to feel comfortable, by the time I got there, I was doing things that I didn't like. <laughs> you know, I, wasn't, I was being a, right. a human being that I didn't like. And so uh, it just was a vicious cycle. It was a horrible, vicious cycle. And then there was a, a turning point um, you know, we talked about the marathon bombing yes. um, last time. And so, you know, I had got to a point where I didn't like who I was. And I began, I got to such a low point in my life where I didn't, I wanted to end my life. Mm-hmm. And so the way I kind of turned that around was I had a friend that started to take me to work out and through the powers of the universe, ultimately pointed me in the direction of beach body, which began to change not only my physical body, but my internal and spiritual body as well. Sure. And so as I became more confident and started doing more things, I started to drink less, but still in social settings would drink a lot, which <laughs> right. ended up being I wasn't able to have the 10 beers and five shots of tequila and not be on the floor uh, when I did those things. Because once I got in a social setting, I would go, go, go. Um, it got a lot worse. And so the marathon bombing happened and I started to spiral because not only was I downtown when that happened and knew people that were at the finish line, um, but also I was in the street, you know, we were on lockdown a few days later with the guys right. there. It was just a lot. I kind of feel like I had a little bit of PTSD. PTSD, yeah, yeah. yeah. For and sure so you did. so in that first month after, I was drinking a lot. And so I, it was Memorial Day weekend, and um, we were in P-Town. And uh, I was like, all right, I'm letting loose, but still feeling a lot of that anxiety. So I did. For I those had, who don't know, P-Town is like the West Hollywood of Massachusetts. Yeah. And Memorial Day weekend is women's weekend, and everyone from everywhere comes. It's like, (laughs) think, um, you know, um, I don't know, spring break, but for lesbians, (laughs) legit. I actually wrote a rap about it. You can find it on YouTube. Awesome. It's called P-Town State of Mind. Yes. Um, I love that. (laughs) Really. (laughs) And so I was there, and I drank a little too much, and, you know, we start really early, and I wasn't eating, and I wasn't, and I hadn't been drinking in a while, and so what happened was I got really, really intoxicated to the point of, Later on that evening, some things happened, and I ended up, you know, in an altercation with a police officer and kicking a police officer. Oh, Not on purpose, not because I hated him, but I just was so incoherent that I didn't know what was happening. Right. Did a big donkey kick, went to jail, um, (laughs) and, uh, yeah, I got assault and battery on a police officer with a weapon, which was my foot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Wow. Disturbing disturbing the peace. That is not something that I knew, nor would I guess. Right. Well, it wasn't me. Right. It wasn't who I was, and that's what alcohol was doing to me. And it ended up, you know, I didn't get charged with that uh, felony. It was a felony. Wow, um, right, yeah. I ended up Jeez. having, you know, I 
I was not not found guilty, but for not an entire down year. down to a misdemeanor or something. Uh, <laughs> so for an entire year, I was on probation. I had to call a phone number every day. Right. And if every the, day. Yes. And wow. if the let well, not on the weekends, but if the um, if they said the color purple when I called this number, I had to go to the courthouse and take a breathalyzer. Um, wow. So I couldn't travel wow. during the week. It was it was scary. Yeah. And like I said, I was I was a preschool teacher in the past, and I had always dreamed of you know I, I like working with young people and trying to help them because I remember what it was like, and that threatened that you know if you yeah. can't pass a quarry, you're not gonna um, sure. be able to work with kids, and so for right. an entire year I had to do that, and um, still didn't give it up completely, but that was the uh, that was the first like whoa you messed yeah. up, like this is ruining and doing you know this is affecting your life, yeah. and so. Um, for the next couple of years after I was sober for a year, kind of on the weekends, I, you know, because <laughs> I had the whole. You didn't weekend. have to go yeah. breathe a breathalyzer so, on the weekends. But um, I just realized like, hey, this isn't serving me. And as I grew spiritually and dove deep into the journey of self-realization and self-growth, I recognized that it was messing with my brain. And if I'm taking ketones to live at a at a higher level, get rid of the fog around my brain, my brain, then why would I do something to? Fog it back Intentionally up. Intentionally fog it, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, thank you for sharing that. It's very interesting because um, there, there's a couple things I want to say. One, I, I feel you. I, like I said, I drank for all those same reasons. And a lot of times as a younger adult, not so much recently, but, you know, because of that thing where I, you know, I'm not this macho male like everybody else and I felt different. So I had to like sort of put myself into a place where I, I could feel normal, like you said. Which is weird because none of us are normal. There is no normal, normal, right? We're all different and we're all the same. But but we're you know we all come from different places. We have different bodies. We have different upbringings. We have different spiritual backgrounds, different past lives of stuff that we might carry with us. Mm-hmm. Some believe. Um, so there's that, and then also I just recently uh, learned last year that uh, do you know why they call alcohol spirits? I do actually. Yeah. So why don't you tell it? Yeah. So you you probably tell it better. And there's but a bunch of people out there. When you drink and when you're loose in your like I don't know protection that you have around you, like spirits are able actually to come through to you and negative ones. Yep. When you are um, drunk. Yep. And they hop on and go for a ride, which is why when you black out, you don't remember what happened because it literally it wasn't, wasn't you. you. Yes. yes, it wasn't We me. do need a spirit jail, by the way. That's a great idea, Julie. Like Once again, I'm glad we gave you a microphone. Um, but yeah, no. That's so why this they is, say the demons come out. This is one of those things, right, that like we talked about a little bit on the drive over about how people don't want to really – there are people who just want to live in their fantasy land of all the lies that we've been told and the way we've been brought up. And you and I are both on a journey where we want to find out the truth. Yeah. I don't care. I'm not trying to get to a specific religious answer or a specific spiritual answer. I just want to know what's going on, for Christ's sakes, right? Um, and so this is one of those things where you could sit there in your analytical brain and say, that's a bunch of crap. Mm-hmm. And maybe it is. Who knows, right? But for me, I know in my experience, when somebody, when this person told me that, um, who's an energy healer, who's been on the show, Lara, uh, uh, Lara, uh, Lara J., Sorry, I was trying to remember her spiritual healer name, Larjay, who's um, been on the show. She's the one who told me, and I was like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. Because the only fights I've ever been in as an mm-hmm. adult have been when I've been blackout drunk. Mm-hmm. And you see me, like, as a man, I'm like you. I'm kind of smaller, mm-hmm. not a giant person. 
but I've apparently beat the shit out of some people yeah. while incredibly drunk yeah. and not remembering it and knowing it until I woke up and saw the, the scars and go to jail like me <laughs> yeah well i didn't go to jail for that uh but i did go to jail for a dui oh yeah same thing and that woke me up for yeah. sure um and that uh you know the weird thing there was that part of my rehabilitation was they made me go to aa classes um and i grew up in a family where my parents went to therapy when we were kids we went to family therapy again this was one of those things that mm-hmm. nobody was doing back then right. it was all hooey and yeah, hogwash yeah. and all that yeah. stuff but my parents were very forward thinking that way so i grew up knowing about the benefits of that um and when i went into aa i was like you guys don't need to stop drinking you need therapy each and every <laughs> one of you needs professional help like you've got serious mm-hmm. mental issues going yeah, on sure. and yeah drinking is not helping them for sure but i i remember thinking like and at that time like you i was trying not to drink i wasn't on probation i had to go do some day jail so when i checked in there couldn't be any alcohol in my system or i would have been busted again but other than that as long as i wasn't drinking and driving i could still drink legally um, and I would leave those AA meetings and go, you know, I'm trying not to drink, but I have to listen to those people. Man, I want to drink yeah. right now. Like, this is like frying my head that these people are out there. They need help and they're not getting the help that they need. Mm-hmm. Yes, drinking is something they should all stop doing because they're having these mental health issues, but they all need professional mental health. And where are they going to get it? Because none of them can afford it. Like, right. these are the thoughts going through my head like, oh my God, I want to drink. <laughs> I but I did, I did it at home, and it was, uh, yeah, one of those I-need-a-drink moments. And um, I don't know. Like you, I, 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 uh, I just hope that I can get to that point one day where I can be uh, disciplined enough and brave enough to be like, I don't want that. I don't need that anymore. I will, like I said, I will always miss having a glass of wine with dinner, and I hope that I can figure out some sort of plan where I can do just that. My my gut instinct is telling me that that's probably not the case yeah. and I won't be able to control it like that and that it'll just lead back. Mine's, my wine is tequila. Yeah. My 30th birthday cake was a big Patron bottle. <laughs> nice. No, it was. It was a cake, but it, my and my family got it for me. I loved it that much. Yeah. I loved it, but I don't and think I could have a shot and just be like, all right, just one shot. Right, right. And that's the thing. It's like wine's a little bit different that way because for me it's a lot about the flavor while you're eating. Mm-hmm certain things which yeah. are p- mostly certain things that i probably shouldn't be eating anymore and <laughs> that's a whole other story <laughs> right about health but um but i just want to say too that like you're not you don't preach about not drinking no people should do what they feel compelled to do but they should have an awareness to it and so if someone wants to talk to you about the benefit which is what i'm doing here yeah. now why does it benefit you i mean yeah. that's the thing is we all make choices so do those choices help us get close to the things that we want yeah. And, you know, I might have a drink. I don't know if I if I will again in the future. The reason why I'm not right now is, number one, because I recognize that I wasn't that person that could have one and stop. Right. I was that person that kept drinking because I felt uncomfortable. And that's the re- yeah. That's the thing. If you're drinking because you want to have fun and just let loose with your friends and you're able to not use it to not be yourself. Right. Like I wanted to face myself as hard as it was, face myself, look myself in the eyes and be like, hey, listen, you, you know, you're – to face yourself is how you move forward and get past right. things. Well, that's the thing, too. For me, um, you know, I became, especially when I was in Hollywood and the music business mm-hmm. before I moved back home, I've shared many times, I think on the podcast, and I think I shared with you, too, but I'll, I'll say it again. Like, I was working 10, 12 hours a day working at home, 
you know, cut a few hundred emails a day, a bunch of calls, mm -hmm. stressful work, but, you know, whatever. I was good at it. And then I would go out every night, uh, not every night, five or six nights a week, have dinner with friends, and then drink. And not just, like, have a couple of drinks, yeah. like, drink. Hard. <laughs> and then pass out, wake up in a fog, and do it all over again. And it became so normal, and the body is so resilient that I was able to function like that. Mm -hmm. But I did have a friend pull me aside and go, listen, uh, there's an older guy older than me. I was like, listen, this is, you know, I've seen some friends drink themselves to death. And this is what it looks like if you don't, if you keep this pattern up forever, that's what's going to happen. And so that was the first wake up call that like, oh, yeah, by the way, this is this stuff is actually poison. poison. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it makes you feel good and free and all that. But there's a there's a, um, a cost. Right. And sometimes it's a severe cost. So that's why I want to talk about I'm not preaching because, I, like I said, I'm still battling myself with that on where I want to end up with this and what I want to do because um, and, and building a life that that's uh, where I can choose to not do that and be OK with that. I mean, you know, you shared with me and we can say because we're in Massachusetts, it's legal now. We both smoke pot. Yeah. And that's a much healthier thing than drinking and i know that a lot of people especially in our area still think well that's the gateway drug and that leads to opioids let me tell you something right now the gateway drug is alcohol or prescriptions from or prescriptions doctor. for sure <laughs> yeah. but like you know the fact that we go are still in this society in this modern society we think that alcohol is so innocuous because we've been trained to think that um, and I'm not saying that we sh need to go back to prohibition right. and ban it, right? That's not my point because, like I said, I do still drink. The point is this, that all the messed up stuff that I did in my life when I was drunk, and there was some pretty messed up stuff, nothing like, you know, super severe harming other people, but harming other people's property and mm -hmm. things like that when I was a kid for sure. I never did anything like that, uh, smoking pot. So no. I'm not condoning that kids should smoke pot what i am saying is that you should definitely shouldn't drink right. as kids we did it i get it i mean heck when we were kids probably wasn't the same because you are a few years younger than me but like i remember with jason and that group the cops in watertown would let us drink at the lowell elementary school in the parking lot not let us but they would just like they knew we were there right. drinking and then they would eventually show up and be like, all right, clean this up and get out of here mm -hmm. and be safe. Don't do anything stupid. Right. You can't obviously you can't do that anymore and nor should you um, because it is dangerous. And again, like the stuff that kids and people do on alcohol that's so destructive to themselves and others yeah. is a major issue. And we don't we don't talk about it. Yeah. You know, I want to get on that point, because if there are young yeah, people please. listening the thing that woke me up most was our legal system and the fact that one decision, poor decision made when you're incoherent could change your entire life. Right. Whether you hit somebody by accident with your car and kill them and go to jail for manslaughter or, you know, second degree murder or whatever. Or like for me, I recognize that the legal system did not care that I didn't have any other previous things they didn't care anything about who i was up until all they cared about was that i kicked a police officer they right. didn't care how many beers i had they didn't care how i was feeling about the marathon bombing and that could have had like if if you never know how the legal system is going to work you know right. what i mean there's people out there that you know have had 29 duis and they're still getting free where and someone like myself first offense kick a police officer 
kind of by accident and like you know i'm on probation and could have went to jail um and could have changed my entire life so like that's the part that's scary that i want people to know and wouldn't be able to be doing what you're doing now no which is another reason why it's something i think about a lot right because what my whole platform is about self-awareness honest but empathetic self-evaluation and then making good choices yes and guess what i don't make great choices (laughs) when i'm drinking no me none of us do (laughs) All right, not none of us. There's very few people who make yeah. good choices when they're drinking. That's the point. Um, and and those choices can be harmful to others and to ourselves. So I think that that's yeah. the point you're trying to make is that, and, and it is an important point, just one thing, one night can change, change everything. everything. Especially when it's you know drinking and driving, like I used to do mm-hmm. all the time and, and, um, and really dangerously, quite frankly. Uh, you know, I, I'm very lucky that I never hurt anybody i remember you drinking and getting in fights you you knock somebody out they hit their head and die you're right. going to jail for murder right you know well, manslaughter but same thing yeah you don't <laughs> that, know they in can that context yeah want. and then all of a sudden you're in a general population jail yeah. even though you have no priors and all of a sudden to survive you have to be a criminal yes then what exactly like anything can change i've like, thought about that at, at, at different times like what the hell would happen to me if i ended up in jail right? I'm not built for that kind no. of environment. <laughs> I wouldn't do well there. I, I wouldn't do well there. Yeah. I would either have to, you know, become something that's so foreign to me as someone who likes other people and right. likes to help other people, or just be eaten up and swallowed and devoured yeah. by no, no. Know, the <laughs> darkness, right? Um, by the way, I, yes. had, I had a choice when I got in trouble. I could have blamed other people and other things like, you know, there was a lot of things I could have blamed. And I decided in that moment to take ownership of my actions yeah, and accept that, hey, I did something wrong and I'm going to face this and take it. And I, it just, if I hadn't done all the work up until that point, I could have been blaming other people and never done it and went right back into the behavior that I was doing and ended up, you know, I, I saw the lesson that was laid out in front of me and I took it and I said, okay, I hear you, universe, God, whoever, right. this is a lesson that I need to learn from and I have a choice here to either learn from it and take ownership of it or blame everybody else, you yeah. know, and there could have been two different outcomes from there too. Right, right. Yeah, I think that that's an important point, right, is to for all of us to take ownership of our actions. Like, mm-hmm. And when we make mistakes to admit to ourselves and to others, like, I made a mistake yeah. uh, instead of trying to justify it. Right. Which is what many people do when we make mistakes, whether they're small ones or large ones. Our a knee-jerk reaction is, well, I have to justify this. No, you don't. What you have to do is take responsibility for it, that you did something, whether you're in an altered mental state or not, that you're responsible for your actions. And that this is the whole point of philosophy, right, is that we're all responsible. When I started to do this, as I shared with you on your podcast, I realized that I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do very much about what other people did and said. But I had complete control over what I do and say. Yes. And we need to take responsibility for that, each and every one of us. If we all do that and we all try our best and we own our own actions and we own our words, then eventually, over time, all the problems in the world go away. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's really that simple in concept. It's not that simple in practice, which is why we talk about it and why we have to practice this. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I want to get to something else you touched on. and I forget which part it was, but you shared that you were in a dark place at one point and Mm -hmm. thought about ending it all. Yeah. Um, And I did a whole episode on depression and, and despair because I think that 
anybody who's being honest uh, knows that we've all felt that way at okay. some point. Um, some people like to lie to themselves and, and convince themselves that they've never thought that way. I don't think that that's true. I think that, you know, again, I'm not a therapist, but I think that everybody feels that at certain times. Like, this is really hard and I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Um, sure. And so I think that that's a really valuable conversation to have in public so that other people out there realize that this is okay. It's okay to feel that way. It's not okay to act on it. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that, how that was for you? Yeah. Well, that was something that had followed me around since I was super young. You know, and I don't know if it's because I knew it was different, you know, the whole gay thing. Sure. But from a very young age, like little, six years old, I remember the um, the Phillips school closed and I had all these friends and I was the only friend that had to go over to the Cunniff and I went and started new and I didn't have any friends. Like that young, I, I felt depressed and scared and you know, it wasn't till seventh grade that I really started to think about like, hey, I don't want to be alive. Yeah. But it really came full circle at 27. I got rock bottom. I was drinking, you know, and it, I was gaining weight and I was miserable. And it wasn't I couldn't go a day without thinking at least 10 times about, you know, wanting wow. to not be alive. But what stopped me from ever even doing that was because I knew what that would do for my family. You know what I yeah. mean? I wasn't just thinking about me. And I knew there needed to be some way out somehow you know and i honestly believe that the universe kind of pulled me in which is why i'm here i think i owe it the universe is like hey you have a message that you need to share and we're right. gonna go overcome this and i yeah. believe that happened but yeah man it was bad like i thought about ways uh, to do it and you know just i wasn't happy yeah i i i can uh I, well a couple things one we just did a podcast with sophia willinger softy um, who's 26 and going through this time of our lives. And I shared with her that I think we don't talk about this enough in society, but your mid to late 20s are a really difficult That's time. That's interesting. 26 was the age. That yeah. You, yeah, I heard you say that, 27. And I, I got divorced or separated when I was 28. Um, so I had like a whole pile on, right? So I, um, and again, I turned to drinking to dull my pain and my anxiety about what's going to happen with my life and I'm a failure and all that stuff. Um, and I remember, I remember being in my, uh, my SUV in Florida, driving around hammered and so depressed listening to Lauryn Hill. So I really loved that album. Um, and thinking, I don't, I don't want to wake up tomorrow. I don't want to do this anymore you know, in a drunken state, depressed state that I was only making worse. And the next thing I knew, I woke up in my bed at the place where I was staying and my car was perfectly parked in the driveway. And I have no idea how that happened. And that was definitely one of those moments were similar to what you just shared that like, you know, the higher powers Saved you. were like, ah, just chill out, dude. We're going to put you to bed and everything's going to be fine tomorrow. And you'll start over and realize that you're here to do something. Now, it took me many years after that to get to this point and to find out what that really was. Um, but I share that and you share that again to tell people out there that those it's OK to feel like that. Um, and, and like you said to me in that moment, I was so, you know, in an altered state of mind because of alcohol and depression that. I wasn't thinking about my family, but I have never actually allowed myself to go to a point where I've actively thought about like how I would end it or how I would do it. 
because before I ever get to that, I think about my family and my friends and like there's no way I could do that to them. As hard as this is, that would make what it's like for them so much harder and this is hard for everybody. This is not an easy game we're playing here called life. Come on in, Julie. Julie snuck out. That's why we haven't heard from her in a little while. (laughs) We're just talking about some um, really mellow, chill stuff like, you know, feeling like you want to kill yourself. (laughs) (laughs) She just spit out her (laughs) coffee or tea. I'm not sure what she's drinking. Um, And the reason, just to fill you in, Julie, why we do that is to uh, go back to that, you know, everybody feels sometimes like this is too hard and I don't want to go on anymore. And so I think it's really important to talk about that um, because it's okay to feel that and to think that, but it's not okay to act on it. So we should talk about it more so that people are more comfortable that, oh, yeah, I had a really bad day the other day. I I wanted to leave. I still feel like that sometimes, like when I'm having a bad day. Uh, Like, ah, geez, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, Yeah. And and to just sometimes even more simply just keep things in perspective that this is just one day and today's not the greatest day, but tomorrow's going to be a different day because yeah. we've all lived long enough to know that each day is different. And we as much as we think we know what might happen, we really don't. Anything could happen at any time. So I have a story for you. All right. You might not know. All right. Um, so on that. You know, it's okay, like we all feel that way, but it's not okay to act on it. So I just told you there was a point in my life that ultimately changed the course of my life um, where I didn't want to live, right? And mm-hmm. so I found something that helped me to begin changes. And it was, you know, first with fitness, working out and physical. And, you know, then I started doing personal development and that stuff. But the reason I started the fitness thing wasn't to save myself. I didn't make that connection at the time. I wanted abs. And so <laughs> the thing was, right? Yeah, I wanted a, I wanted a washboard abs. But um, so I started doing it. And like what I had realized in my first 90, 180 days was, you know, I felt better. Yeah, I was starting to look better. It wasn't as fast as I wanted, but I felt better. And so at the time, I was working at a restaurant as a server. And um, we were like the family. You know, afterwards, you'd have drinks and whatever. Everybody knew sure. each other. And there was a bartender there who I thought was the life of the party. You know, she was awesome. Um, everybody loved her, this, that, and the other thing. And every now and then she would ask me what I'm doing. Oh, you look good. What's this thing you're doing? And um, I had, it had never occurred to me to talk to people. I always talked about the physical. I'd show my before and after and talk about that. But it never occurred to me that this was also changing my insides mm. and never occurred to me to talk about it and to show, share that with people because right. that's something scary. Why would I want to share that, this, that, and the other thing, right? Right. And so what happened was one day I got a call that that same bartender had committed suicide. Oh, my God. And so it woke me up because I was like, whoa, I didn't know she felt that way. Right. And then I was like, it, it, I had also turned on the TV and there was a story about this woman who had, was, had wanted to commit suicide. And then she found the exact same thing that I was doing and it had saved her. And at that same moment. Yeah. Okay. So it, that was the universe tar- tying it together for, for me. For sure. Yeah. And in that moment, I decided that moving forward I was going to share that story a lot and loud and keep sharing it because what if when she asked me about what I was doing I shared how hey I used to want to kill myself and now I feel like I don't and I'm happy or I told a post or shared in my social media and she saw that could that have saved her in that moment yeah well that's the whole point right is that everybody at some point feels some level of I don't matter 
it doesn't make you I don't make a difference I don't matter we all feel that but it's not true it's just like you said those negative stories we tell each mm -hmm. other and I recently had a similar experience with a bartender that I met in Australia a couple of years ago really good dude we had a good time I was there for a month went to that bar a lot and then recently he wrote some stuff on Facebook and I was like dude are you all right and he's like ah, there's no easy way to say this but I tried to kill myself and I was like uh I'm glad you didn't succeed. Mm -hmm. Please don't do that again. I know we don't know each other that well, but you mean a lot to me. And I want you people, we need people like you around. You're a good guy. Um, and the world is a darker place without people like that, right? So that's the whole point of this. And, and I'm glad that you shared that story is when we talk to each other about this stuff, we normalize it. Mm -hmm. And so people don't feel so alone and isolated. This, to me, my theory is why people go and shoot up bars and schools and blow up things is because they feel isolated and alone and like they don't matter anyway. So what's the difference if, if I go hurt some people and make a name for myself yeah. on the way out? Um, just to your point about, you know, sometimes we don't share because we don't feel seen or matter. We also have to be humble and understand that we can't matter to everybody. <laughs> right. And maybe we don't want to share because we don't think we matter to that person. And we might be right. That person might not matter. But another person might matter. Right. So I think humility and understanding that and try with the next person or find the person who matters. It's an important point because of what you're saying is that not that we matter from an ego state right. of mind, from an ego place. And I know this is your first philosophy podcast as hey. my producer, but this is a good point and something that I talk about a lot. It's not about our ego, right? Like I'm human. I have an ego too. You do too. You do too. We all do. But I don't let my ego drive the car very often. I usually put that ego in the back seat. Yeah. Well, it can be for sure. It can be a good thing in certain, you know, you need it a little bit here and yeah. there to get by, to push us to, to strive to like – but it's not like that's something that stays here, right? For uh, and you talked about, I love that you use the word the universe because it's less confronting to yeah. other people. <laughs> we could use the word God or yeah, or consciousness or mm -hmm. science or whatever word you prefer. But there's something going on for sure in my mind, in my belief system, that direct us, directs us, and sends us signs and sends us people at the right time. It's mm -hmm. no coincidence that you and I connected at this point in our lives on this similar journey, even though I know your sister and brother much better mm -hmm. until now. Now I know you, I think, way better than <laughs> them, even <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> just two times hanging out because you've talked so much about, you know, your challenges in life. And, like, this is the point. It's challenging for all of us. And many people come from that ego place of, well, I've got it all together and I have it all figured out. Bullshit. No, you don't. Yeah. None of us do. We're all just, you know, going along our journey trying to do our best hopefully and our best is when we are self-aware and we honestly and empathetically self-evaluate and then we make good choices and what are the best choices well to do things that spread kindness and inclusivity to the world and maybe that means you shouldn't be drinking or mm -hmm. you should be talking more about your sexual orientation so that you can help other people or whatever that is right um and to me, that's the whole point. Like I said, this is why I do this. I don't I, – it's funny because the ego thing uh, – most people assume that I do this kind of work partially for my own ego, and it's the exact opposite. I do this in spite of my ego because my ego is not one that really 
particularly likes, you know, there's a lot of negative talk in my ego. And mm -hmm. I would prefer, as I've shared many times, to be sitting in the background in an auditorium Wallflower. instead <laughs> of being the one on stage talking. Right. But I realized at a young age that I could affect people by doing that. I was actually 16. I was in a class called the Landmark Forum. And there were 3,000 oh. people in the audience that day because the founder, Werner Erhard, was leading this second weekend. He called a bunch of people up on the stage and said, for anybody who hasn't shared in public. And before this day, it was only 1,000, right? Only, but that's a lot. Um, and so he kept, he brought us all up on stage. He did a little talk. And then he's like, all right, everybody sit down. And I froze. It was totally was not me, right? Something held me there. <laughs> And he said, do you have something you want to say? And I said, I, I guess I do. And he gave me the microphone. And my mom always shares the story. My parents were there. My sister was there. A uh, bunch of family were there observing this. That I looked so natural, but I was not comfortable at all <laughs> inside. I was like screaming, like, what the heck am I doing? This is, you know, this is my comfort zone. And I shared how much I love my parents and how much they meant to me in front of 3,000 oh, wow. people. And I never had done that really to them on that level and what I realized what I observed in that room is that the energy of the whole entire room changed because of the way that I shared my experience mm -hmm. and what I felt right. and then I realized at that time like what kind of power that I have that we have as people when we share like that yeah. and because of my ego for that was when I was 16 it wasn't until I was like 40-ish until I started actively trying to do this kind of work because I was scared. I still didn't want to put myself out there. I was like, you know, I whatever. I don't like. Here's the thing: we don't see ourselves the way others see us, and I've talked about this a lot. I don't. I wish for a day I could see myself the way everybody else sees me. Because apparently everybody thinks I'm pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that I see myself the same way, right? Mm -hmm. You said me too. Yeah, talk same thing. Talk about that. People will send me a message or tell me the way that and. It, doesn't matter how many different people are say, you know, we see you. This I have friends that will specifically say, you don't see yourself the way we see you. This is what we see. And I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> nope. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I, I get that. I get that all the time, too. And it's just, you know, it's one of those things that, like, I, you know, it's something that I have to overcome, my own self-criticism, my own self-judgment, something mm -hmm. we all have to overcome. It's been really powerful for me. It kept me from doing this kind of work for a long time because I didn't think I was valuable enough to do it until I started to do it. And then everybody started to tell me the value. I yeah. shared that with you about on your podcast about what things that people have said and keep saying to me when I do this. That's what keeps me going. Yeah. Is that that positive feedback that it's meaningful to people out there and that it's helpful. Yeah. This is not for my ego and not to become because you know, public speaking and all that is a, a fruitful job, uh, career. I didn't know that when I started to do it. I just knew it was something I had to do. Um, and and now I've become simplified my life so much and shared with you that, you know, I stay with my parents. And I mm -hmm. talked to Sophia about that last time that I realized how little I actually need in my life to function normally and be like a happy human being. And so, like, the exciting part for that to me is, like, when this philosophy platform grows and I make a lot of money, I know I can give most of it away because I really need very little right. to be a happy human being. The yeah. material things don't matter that much. I'm not taking them with me, and I'm very clear on that. Um, good and good for you, too. I agree. <laughs> I material think. Material things don't matter as much. 
Yeah, we we um, we all know that we're not taking the material stuff with us yeah. when we leave, but we don't live that way. And that's mm-hmm. weird to me. We also like the, the another thing the Dalai Lama says that's insane, literally insane, is we live like we're not going to die. <laughs> yep, it's the one thing we probably all have in with common. The, <laughs> for sure, one of the things we all have in common. Yeah, and then you know the things like the Boston Marathon bombing and the things like. Uh, Tommy and Kim Dinker's dad that passed this 69 years old, heart attack, boom, yeah. gone. None of us know how much time we have left. Nope. Not any of us. It could all go away tomorrow for anybody. And that's the point why we have these conversations when we break out of our comfort zones to talk about this stuff and to help each other because it matters. We need to do our best with the time that we have. Do you know, um, oh, man, so there's this Navy SEAL. There's a Navy SEAL who uh, we talk to us often. His name's David Goggins. Have you heard of him? Yes. I think so, I heard uh, Rogan talk about him. So he spoke at he, – I've seen him speak several times, and one of the stories that he shares is he imagines himself – this guy went through a lot of – you guys should get his book if, and take a listen or audible, whatever. But he imagined himself going up and dying and going to God, and God has this big list, and every time somebody walks up, he changes the piece of paper, and there's a big list there of the things that, you know, you are or whatever – and he's, his fear was he'd get up there and there would be this big long list and it's like David Goggins, Navy SEAL, this, that, and you know, name, naming all of these amazing things. And he's like, God, I didn't, do, I didn't do those. That's not me. You got the wrong list. And God's like, no, this is who you were meant to be. And you didn't take the chances and do what I, the tool, <laughs> use the tools that I gave you to become this. And, and God was disappointed with him. And that he uses that to step out of his comfort zone and do things that makes him uncomfortable because he's afraid that he'll get up to God and God will be like, this is what you were meant to be. This, 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 this. Yeah. You were, I put you on earth to be this and you didn't do any of those. Right. Yeah, well, that's that's my biggest fear because I have, you and I have both done a lot of esoteric and spiritual journeys in our lives that are out of the norm for most people. But, you know, one of the things for me is like realizing that past lives and multiple lives is actually a thing, right? Like oh, there's actually sure. some, some, um, I don't know what you call it. It's not not scientific proof, but like there's proof, case study proof of like people that have been put into hypnotism and seen a past life that they can mm-hmm. go back and historically fact check. And it's like there's no other explanation, right? So, but one of those things that is, if that's true, and, and again, you can believe whatever you want out there. I believe it's true because I've seen enough. The last thing in the world that I want is to come back and have to do this again. Right. This is not easy. And I don't mean like live another life. But like hopefully if I'd have to live another one that I've brought myself up to a level and learned and grown enough that like the next one's not as difficult. Like so it's similar to what you're saying is that I think we should all have that however you get there, whatever those belief systems are that get you there is the point is to do your best here because it counts mm-hmm. in some way. Right. We whether we believe in in multiple lives or not, we can all agree that this life there's only one of these. There's only one Jamie Messina. There's only one Julie Manugian life, right? So what are you doing with it to do your best, right? That's that's the whole point. Exactly. And that's why I appreciate having you here. We're going to wrap it up now. Um, but I appreciate your openness and honesty. And it's like, as I told you over text, it's good to know that in Watertown, right down the street, there's another uh, amateur philosopher like <laughs> me yep. who really enjoys. We shared, we were talking on the ride over how, neither of us are really good at small talk we're 
we're much better at this. Yeah, I dove <laughs> right, right in deep with her. I'm like, do you feel the energy in here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I don't think you have to do much pulling. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no. We just both kind of vomited it out. <laughs> so, um, Jamie, let's hear you uh, promote some stuff, your YouTube channel, your Instagram. Oh. Any of that stuff you want to plug? Yeah, well, you can follow me on all my socials. My Instagram, first of all, my name is spelled like Jaime. So J-A-I-M-E, Jamie Messina. That's on Instagram and uh, Facebook. We have Jamie Messina Keto, your life. And then um, YouTube, same thing. Just look up Jamie Messina, but it's Jaime. Yeah, J-A-I-M-E. Yeah. And I realized I had that. I spelt it wrong in my phone, but I've fixed oh. it since. Also, Jem. <laughs> it's like in French. Oh, right, Jem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we start. Well, we started on that. You no. can find that on my socials. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and thank you to the lovely Julie Manugian, oh, producer extraordinaire. extraordinaire. And then again, also thanks to Terry for filling in while you were out. Um, yes. I felt bad because it was a crazy day, and he left. I don't know if he knows that I actually appreciate uh, him stepping in. And uh, and being there when you weren't able to be here because you were taking care of your dad. Yeah. So uh, for my plugs, again, it's philosophy.org is my website, uh, spelled like philosophy but with a Z, uh, at Zilosophy for all on all your social media platforms except for the like the Snapchats and the TikToks. I'm too old for that. <laughs> I, can, I can barely deal with Instagram. I'm grumpy old social media guy. Um, and then if you have any comments or questions or things you want us to talk about on the podcast or things you want to ask me, uh, uh, info at philosophy.org and get yourselves a nice stocking stuffer book. Jamie, I still owe you one. Yeah. I meant to bring you one today and I forgot, but I'll, I'll drop it in your mailbox. Um, philosophy on golf. It's a book for the golfer in your life, but it's really a book for anybody because it's about all the stuff that we talked about. That's what I'm going to get my dad for. Christmas. Perfect. So <laughs> I'll get you two, one for you and one for your dad. Um, and that's it for today. Thanks for listening to the Zelosophy podcast. We'll talk to you soon. You're welcome. <laughs>